Welcome back to Trans in the Eyes of God, a special series from Inspired. Here's Reverend David Wynn, your guest host for the series. Let's move now from one person's story and take a look at the bigger picture. How religious beliefs are influencing our cultural conversation on transgender individuals' rights and place in society. Bathroom bills, transgender military service, gender-neutral pronouns, they are sparking fierce debates all over the country. So where are all the fireworks coming from? I think it's a question of identity. Emma Green is a staff writer for The Atlantic. She says the trans rights movement is getting so much attention right now because it taps into the national conversation around a very modern notion of the self. In certain liberal academic worlds, the language of identity being something constructed and self-determined and malleable and multiple is really second nature. If you went onto any college campus, you would probably find hundreds of thousands of college students learning exactly this vocabulary, speaking in these words as they talked about themselves in protests and in the public square. And truly, it's a conversation not everyone wants to participate in. For a lot of Americans, and particularly perhaps some of the older Americans who weren't exposed to that milieu, people who have conservative beliefs, this idea that identity is the most core thing and is also self-determined and completely malleable is kind of crazy because it stands counter to this notion that we were created by God in the case of religious people's beliefs, and we are who we are. It isn't the thing that we need to be pulling apart or looking at uh, persistently as the central part of our being. I do think on a number of levels, we're facing kind of an identity crisis in the culture. Robert P. Jones is the founder of the Public Religion Research Institute. You know, everything from what does it mean to be American to what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? I mean, these are fundamental questions. And I think for many older Americans in particular, questions that it's bewildering to have to answer. And I think it is just because um, we're at a place where the old assumptions, I think that's the real key, the old assumptions that kind of held a general, and it really was a kind of waspy American center together, mm-hmm. have sort of dis- dissipated. And so now, All these things could just be assumed now actually have to be talked about and argued about. Argued about and legislated about. Mississippi made the unusual decision to legally define male and female. So in this bill, which has now become a law, the Mississippi State Legislature defined male, and in parentheses they wrote man, or female, and in parentheses woman, refer to an individual's immutable biological sex as objectively determined by anatomy and genetics at the time of birth. Emma, why do you feel Mississippi felt the need to spell that out legally? Mississippi is one of a number of states that have been engaging on this issue. Texas is one of those states. North Carolina is another. And Mississippi has a very conservative state legislature. And right now, this law goes farther than basically any other that's on the books in the United States. When you kind of peel it back, uh, was there something that precipitated them kind of making this definition? Or uh, can you tell us a little more about what's going on? When Mississippi wrote out a specific definition in its bill about gender identity, it was 
codifying something that had previously just stood as a given. There was no reason to put into law what makes a man and what makes a woman. But in these times when the question of manness and womanness is highly contested, when those categories are being mixed up, there are groups that are fighting to have, for example, a third gender listed on driver's licenses and passports. When all of these previously just regular default categories are being mixed up, there is only really one way to fight back against that, or at least in the eyes of legislators, there's one tool that's available to them, and that's by encoding it into state or federal law. This is part of a broader national trend, and Mississippi, being a very conservative state, fits very snugly into the set of states that have been taking up this issue as a sort of a question that everybody is uh, has on their mind. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, so, Robbie, I-, I wanted to bring you in on the conversation. And um, why is America so anxious about gender right now? I mean, this is a topic that we typically traditionally haven't had a lot of conversation about. And now it seems like it's all we talk about. What what has happened, I think, the, in the country is that attitudes have changed very, very quickly around same-sex marriage and this whole set of questions about, you know, the nature of sexuality, the nature of gender, and what the relationship is between, like, biological sex and gender identity. But it's worth noting just how quickly this has changed. So if we just go back to, like, 2008, only 4 in 10 Americans supported same-sex marriage. That number, uh, by the time we were at the end of 2016, had gone to 6 in 10. In 2017, it's two-thirds of Americans who support same-sex marriage. So that's a sweeping amount of change in a short amount of time. And I think there's no overestimating um, the effect that the uh, 2015 Obergefell Supreme Court decision had that legalized same-sex marriage in all 50 states – where you, especially in states like Mississippi, where um, it really is only about three in ten Mississippians who support uh, same-sex marriage, so they're in a very different place than the country as a whole. So, you know, I think what's happening here is that there's kind of a, a coming national consensus on these issues, and certainly support for. Uh, same-sex marriage and for, generally speaking, um, non-discrimination laws, generally speaking, but in states like Mississippi mm-hmm. and in the Deep South that are out of step with that, culturally speaking, at the local level, um, there are these um, legal attempts to kind of carve out spaces where um, the, you know, kind of interests of people who disagree with the kind of national uh, federal law can still refuse to uh, participate in something that they have a, a, a religious objection to. Right. So, Emma, in in your work, because I know you've written, you know, quite a bit about the anxiety around um, between religion, certain religions and and gender identity. Are are you seeing uh, similar things? Certainly the rapidity of this shift, which is something that Robbie alluded to, has been striking. And this is not just in the three years that have gone by since the same-sex marriage decision came down from the Supreme Court. This is the broader shift that's often described by conservative religious Americans as the sexual revolution and its after effects that seems to have orchestrated this turning of the ship that Robbie is describing. But one thing that I often try to pay attention to in my reporting is the way that the turning of the ship, which is generally a correct way to describe what's happening in America, can obscure people who feel very much left behind by where the culture is going. Part of the furor that we've seen in North Carolina, in Texas, and to a lesser degree in states like Mississippi over issues having to do with sexuality and gender identity is this anxiety that I think a small 
small but vocal population of Americans feel, feeling that their culture that they used to recognize, that they used to think was as simple as boys are boys and girls are girls, kind of leaving them behind Mm -hmm. and not knowing how to make sense of that. It's been interesting. You know, we're kind of in the midst of a, a being part of a conversation, this this new conversation around gender identity and religion specifically. One of the things I've noticed is that there definitely does seem to be this line that's drawn between the idea that your gender is set at birth, you know, it's it's anatomical, it's physiological, it's, you know, created, uh, if it's somebody who uh, is religious uh, in some way. And then you've got another discussion happening around identity being more complicated than that, being something that we come to based on, you know, our own personal feelings and self-expression and it being... Uh, something that can be fluid. Do you see that distinction when you're talking with people? And uh, Emma, if you'd like to go first. I see this in multiple different religious communities, not just among the conservative evangelicals, but even, for example, among traditional Jews. There are notions that Mm -hmm. are baked into these religious traditions about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, and to contest the boundaries of that or suggest that those categories aren't very good or perhaps aren't really useful at all or can be uh, messed with and mixed up and... um, sort of made to fit a person's identity uh, can be deeply challenging. One example of this was a story that I reported a couple of springs ago about young Jews who had made a return to Orthodox Judaism, exploring the sets of traditions and teachings that they now embraced as their own. And one woman who I interviewed talked about the mandate on women in Orthodox Judaism to burn braid and bathe, meaning they light the Shabbat candles, uh, they braid and bake uh, the challah, and they take a little bit of the challah and throw it away, and then they bathe after having their period in the mikvah, or the ritual bath. This is very much not only about how this young woman understood herself as a Jew, but also how she understood herself as a woman, and as God made her and commanded her to do certain things based on her gender. This kind of language and aspect of identity that's deeply based into religion religious texts and into people's understandings of themselves in relationship to God is something that I see across religious traditions, even those traditions that tend to be more open-minded about uh, sexuality or issues of gender identity. Yeah, you know, I I think that's – I want to follow on with what uh, Emma was talking about, and particularly uh, two things I would like to bring up. One is um, that – Part of the issue here is that we're wrestling with very old texts, right? They're thousands of years old and, you know, in the case of uh, the Hebrew texts, and we're trying to sort out what out of those texts is normative and prescriptive and what out of those texts was part of the cultural context of the time and maybe doesn't have to carry over in a prescriptive way uh, forward. Those are all really knotty theological conversations to have and, and religious communities have to wrestle with them. I do think it's worth being respectful of those of that wrestling um, and that that's a serious conversation uh, to be had. I think one of the real challenges is uh, how how do – religious traditions that have these kind of norms and they have um, 
uh, certain understandings of male and female, but but even how do they deal with the actual biological messiness on the ground? Because even biology is fairly messy uh, when you get right mm-hmm. down to it, right? I mean, there are um, you know babies born every year uh, where the biological sex doesn't match the chromosomal um, identity of the child, and then there, right. then there's yeah. a decision that has to be made, right? When there's that kind of mm-hmm. um, conflict uh, between uh, yeah chromosomes and and genitalia, um, there are people born with multiple, uh, with both male and female genitalia, right? And then what then? Yes. Um, and so right. I, I think um, when we get down to these really, um, you know, that the biology itself isn't quite, I think, as, as immutable as it's often assumed uh, to be. Um, and, and then the questions become, uh, I think, much, much more difficult. And they become uh, more questions of, uh, of reflection than a straight deduction from biology, right? I think that line of, of reasoning doesn't really stand up to to scrutiny at the end of the day. So natural, what's often called natural theology that sort of moves from kind of biology to norms, I think always has to wrestle with just like how malleable the things that often look immutable if you just glance at them. But, you, but if you really start paying attention to them, you know, there is variation even, the, even in the biology. And so any natural theology, I think, is to have to take into account that uh, set of issues as well. So, so what do you predict for how this is going to go? How will the way that religion impacts this discussion around gender diversity uh, morph or, or change or transform? I always try to keep the policy of not pontificating because I've learned as a journalist that <laughs> pontification often yeah. ends you up in hot water. But I will say this. Right. <laughs> one thing that has stuck out from my reporting over time is the degree of difference in different circles that I report on in the perception of where we stand on this question of gender and sexuality. In liberal worlds, coastal worlds, urban worlds, there's often the assumption that the uh, same-sex marriage issue certainly is resolved and over, that LGBT rights and the march towards sort of progress and gender justice for those Americans is all but guaranteed. Uh, Perhaps in their view, the Trump administration might be setbacks, but ultimately the arc Mm -hmm. of history will bend towards what they see as a form of justice for LGBT people. But when you Mm -hmm. enter into more conservative religious circles, these are the evangelicals Rabia was talking about, but across different religious groups, some of the rhetoric actually gets flipped. Uh, There are comparisons that those groups will make between themselves and abolitionists or people fighting for other causes of Mm -hmm. justice, like the civil rights movement. And that perception Mm -hmm. difference, the gap there, is really striking to me and suggests that this issue is not resolved and is going to continue to be a major feature of American discourse for a very long time. This is not only in terms of court cases and Supreme Court decisions, but also in terms of the legislation that we are already seeing on the ground popping up in more and more states. It's about cultural perceptions. It's about the rhetoric that's used on television networks and in media publications, there's a lot that's still brewing here. And it is absolutely not a resolved and set aside issue that we can just afford to ignore. Well, for all of our lives, we've lived in a world of boys and girls, but that is changing along with everything else in 2017. Lightning rod legislation is sparking an emotional debate in Texas. The state Senate committee heard 10 hours of testimony Friday on a so-called bathroom bill, hearing mostly... Are you a woman? Um, Yes, for all intents and purposes, I am a woman. And that's very hard 
for Bruce Jenner to say. Quote, when Joe started with the makeup, it made me uncomfortable. It made my husband uncomfortable. Then it made Joe feel uncomfortable. I would absolutely refuse to refer to the, this woman here, who's clearly a woman, as a they, because for me that would be imposing an ideological How political is she a system. Because she is. If everybody watching this program can see that she is a woman. By you saying that you refuse to use my pronouns or refer to me as gender that I am, is one of the grossest acts of disrespect that I'm forced to do. So cultural awareness of trans issues is growing, and it's happening against a backdrop of dramatically changing attitudes toward the broader gay, lesbian, bisexual, and trans community. How dramatically are views shifting, and how is this impacting faith traditions? To find out, let's go back a few years to 2014. Interfaith Voices talked with Kevin Ekstrom, former editor-in-chief of Religion News Service, about how religions in America at that time were trying to come to terms with the LGBT movement as a whole, much less trans rights. You know, you may see small incremental changes around the edges, but I think, you know, the Catholics, the Southern Baptists, the Mormons, they're not going to change their position. I think most of the mainline churches that are able to change their position probably already have. So I think we're looking at a bit of a stalemate in some ways, but what all religious groups are going to have to figure out is how they're going to exist in this new atmosphere that we're living in, you know, where people can get civilly married and they're going to come to their pastor or their rabbi, or maybe even their imam, and they're going to present themselves for or nation, or baptism, or they want to be a Sunday school teacher, or whatever. And the churches are going to have to figure out how they manage that coexistence. So we talk about LGBT, right? A lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. And I think a lot of churches have kind of come to terms with the L and the G part of that equation. But the bisexual and transgender pieces of that puzzle have been harder for churches to figure out. There's new resources coming out on the the issue of bisexuality. But on the transgender front, there's been a lot less movement and a lot more uh, discomfort, I think. People have a hard time wrapping their minds around the whole transgender issue. That's because lesbian, gay, and bisexual are all sexual orientations, which describe who someone is attracted to. But being transgender, it's not about who you like. It's about who you are. And that idea that someone's gender identity may not match up with their biological sex, as Ekstrom said, is a concept many Americans are still working through. Fast forward, and the Public Religion Research Institute released a new report, Emerging Consensus on LGBT Issues, Findings from the 2017 American Values Atlas. Now, the report does not examine whether religious institutions have necessarily shifted their doctrinal positions, and as Ekstrom indicated, many have not. But it does look at the people who make up those congregations, and there we find a different story. The report asks whether a person supports gay and lesbian couples being able to legally marry. And PRRI's Associate Director of Research, Rob Griffin, says attitudes have changed dramatically among the general U.S. public 
and people of faith. ground has shifted under our feet on issues relating to the LGBT community, probably more than almost any issue that I've ever sort of studied. We're really talking about something going from a majority opposing same-sex marriage to a majority supporting it within the span of the last 10 years. Right now, uh, it's probably just about 60-30. So 60% uh, support for legal same-sex marriage and roundabouts of 30% uh, oppose. If you take, you know, people by their sort of self-identified uh, religious category, along with maybe some other relevant demographic factors, right? So like you know, racial category, what you tend to find is that there are there's sort of really wide divides uh, between how people sort of feel about this issue. White evangelical Protestants, the majority do not support it. Mormons, the majority do not support it. But, you know, once we start talking about Catholics of either sort of a white or Hispanic background, um, white mainline Protestants, Jewish, the unaffiliated, these groups sort of sometimes support and sometimes very strongly support in the case of the unaffiliated same-sex marriage. Now, that said, it is also the case that we're seeing movement among everyone, right? So sometimes when we see movement in public opinion, it's because one group has shifted, uh, and sometimes rather dramatically. In this case, it's pretty much everybody shifting at the same time. So they're starting from different levels of support, right? If we go back even like three years, but everybody's moving. It's typically the people who are at the lowest end of support who are actually moving the most. So just as an example, Mormons between 2014 and 2017 saw a 13-point increase uh, in their support for same-sex marriage. And there's probably two things happening there. Because you know, people ask about this. Part of the story is generational. Um, that is to say that there are people who are younger who feel of, among almost every demographic group and cut you can imagine that feel differently than those 65 and up. So there's just a clear difference between younger and older Americans. On top of that, however, though, you do see individuals within groups sort of shifting. So it's not just that you've got young 18 to 29-year-olds replacing people who are a little bit older and that therefore changing attitudes. It's also the case that people who are 65 and up are also shifting. Um, it's people who did oppose it at some point in time and are now supporting it. Both of these things are happening. However, Griffin says while same-sex marriage support isn't a bad proxy to measure attitudes about trans people... He warns about jumping to conclusions. I think we also want to be careful um, that, you know, some of the, the, the feelings sometimes about the gay and lesbian community uh, and even the bisexual community is very sometimes different than it is for the trans community. So it bears repeating. A positive shift in attitudes towards the L, the G, and the B doesn't necessarily mean a positive shift in attitudes or feelings about the T, transgender individuals. The PRRI report also examined whether people support or oppose religiously-based refusal of services, as in a small business owner refusing services to the LGBT community due to their religious beliefs. And what PRRI found was consistency. Griffin says people who are likely to support same-sex marriage are also likely to oppose policies that allow people to refuse to serve LGBT individuals because of their religious objections. We see pretty similar numbers, actually, for religiously-based refusals. Um, that is to say that, um, you know, if you take how people feel about same-sex marriage, you actually see for Americans as a whole about the same numbers, about that 60-30 number coming out, sort of opposing any sort of refusal for religiously-based sort of reasons, uh, and 30% favoring it. Um, now, just to sort of talk, I think, sometimes about the specifics of it, that does change a little bit 
when you change the question wording from talking about just basic business refusals, right, which could be like housing and your mechanic, to when you start talking about wedding-specific stuff, catering, people doing flowers, people doing cakes, things of that nature. If you question people about that, it shifts just a little bit. A majority of Americans still oppose religiously-based refusals, but it's only about 53% versus, let's say, 60%. There is something about the industry around wedding, you know, that people have a slightly different point of reference for that than they do, again, maybe like housing or, you know, a mechanic or if you're just going to go get oranges at the grocery store or something. That there's a, there's a different sort of dimension of the American public that we're sort of tapping into by asking them specifically about those services. And when it comes to views on laws protecting LGBT individuals from discrimination in, for instance, housing or jobs, Griffin says Americans are, for the most part, supportive. But there's also, I think, some unlikely supporters as well, given some of the descriptions we were doing before. So, again, if you want to talk about sometimes the most conservative religious groups in the United States, white evangelical Protestants, Mormons, they're usually sort of in the mix. Mormons in particular, though, are more supportive of protections than you would think otherwise, given how they feel about same-sex marriage. And some of this has to do with their own religious history of persecution, uh, and that when they're asked about these types of protections, they tend to be a little bit more supportive than uh, people uh, would often assume. Still, as Griffin mentioned before, these changing views are about the broader LGBT community, not focused in on specific support for transgender individuals. This is Trans in the Eyes of God, a special series from Inspired. Stay with us. 